Yeah, great to be with you again uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and you should, uh, open them please this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, a tablet, an iPhone, uh, otherwise will we'll suffice. Uh, we do really encourage people to have Bibles with them, have them open, take some notes. We have note sheets at the back as well for these messages. And the whole point of that is we, we all want to grow, right? Amen? We want to grow in our knowledge of who God is and what He has done and what that means for us today. This God that we worship and that we study and learn about is alive. He's alive here today. And He's alive in us. I'm going to read the passage for today. Briefly look at... uh, Well, before I do that, you all know that we've been in this for five weeks now. Um, We had a one-week break thanks to a BC Hydro power outage. Remember that? That was fun. And uh, so, so we, we turned this into a five-week series based on the first four verses of chapter 11 of Luke and, and decided to have a mini-series on prayer. And I hope as we conclude today, I'll mention it again, but I just really hope the Holy Spirit has been doing some really encouraging work in your hearts when it comes to prayer. I've been hearing things in missional community group and from people about it, and that's great. So first week, we looked at the two words, our Father, and then second week, kingdom come, Thirdly, daily bread. Last week, forgive us. Oh, boy. And we'll look at that a little bit more today as well as we conclude with the two words, deliver us. So let me read uh, the four verses in Luke and the one verse uh, that relates to this from the Sermon on the Mount, another time that Jesus taught about praying in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, where it says this, Now, Jesus was praying. In a certain place. He always prayed. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say this Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Matthew, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much. Our Father our God, our Creator, our Sustainer. Thank you so much. Thank you that we get to sit under your Word, and and thank you that, Holy Spirit, you, you illuminate these words to us. You gave them, you inspired them to the men that wrote them, and then you illuminate us to understand and comprehend not just through the preaching, but in each one of us, you illuminate us. You, you give us aha moments. Light bulbs go off, and we, we get it. Thank you for doing that for us. We need you to do that today, Holy Spirit, to lead us. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Um, Janice and I don't love the same TV shows. <clears throat> you know, um, go figure. Married over 40 years. And we, we still love each other. But we watch. So, you know, hockey's on. She walks in and she goes, I'm out of here. Right? And 
I don't really want her to leave, but okay. Um, there are few shows that we watch and that we actually love watching together. One of my favorite shows on TV is, and some of you might laugh, but it's, it's called The Voice, right? Not that I, I can sing, because trust me, whenever I have played on the worship team, usually on the drums, uh, they, they take my mic away. Um, but I love this show, I, and, and it used to be American Idol, right? And that's, even the title's got a bit of a problem. But The Voice, I love that show, partly because, yeah, I, I'm a musician at heart, you know, an, an aging rock and roll percussionist drummer. And, uh, but I love this show. I love the format. I love the fact that w- they start with what are called, the beginning of each season, the blind auditions, right? So these four judges, these four very talented musicians, producers, songwriters, and they have their chairs turned, and these kids come out young, like 14, 15, 16 years old. It's insane, the talent that some of these people have. And then some older dudes and gals, too. And, and they're good, too. And, and they, they come out, and then they sing their hearts out. And then the hope is that one of the judges will hit the button and turn around because they, they want them to be on their team. And, and uh, if you're lucky, you'll get like two, three, four chairs turning of these judges. And so the whole point is, is that you know, you're going to hopefully have someone turn around, and then that person, get this, that person for the duration of the show, and it goes on for months because they're milking it, right? Commercials, money, okay. But really, it goes on for months through the blind auditions and all these other things. And you're hoping that one of these judges will pick you to become your coach. Now, you're, you're an aspiring musician. You want to grow up one day, and you want to, you want to be... Now, some people, they, you know, they have a motive that's like, want to be popular and famous. And Okay, that might not be the best, but they, they, some of them would just love singing and love music for the, the purity of it, and that's great. But they get this coach, right? And here's the deal. This person, all of these four judges, some of the most popular, most successful, I mean, John Legend... I mean, seriously, they're, they're, you know, Adam Levine. Anybody know these people? Can, anybody under 40 here? Okay, yes, you are here. Uh, you know, and uh, they're awesome. And, and, and these people are successful musicians. They've, they've, they've got millions of records sold. They're producers. They're, and, and they love to coach young men and women. And guess what? Throughout the whole duration of the season, the show, you get them for free. <laughs> Would you sign up for that? I mean, think about it this way. If any of you are here and you've got a particular, you know, area of life where you've really wanted to be successful or at least, you know, good at it, whether it's a musician, an artist, it uh, doesn't matter what it is, what, what genre of life, uh, would, would you not, would you not want to have, if you could have had, a mentor, a coach, someone who would come alongside of you and help you to become really, really, really good at that craft, at that art, whatever it might be, right? And wouldn't it be awesome? if that person was willing to take texts from you at like 11.30 at night and actually respond for free. Okay, not me, okay? Don't. Those of you who I disciple and mentor and whatever, no. <laughs> I will ignore you. Uh, but, but I will respond. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, of course it would. I mean, it really probably would be. And so what I want to encourage you here today is, in a, in a kind of way that we should imagine, and I'm hoping through this series you're imagining prayer a little differently than you have in the past, we should imagine prayer a little bit this way. It's much more, yes. (laughs) The God who created you, the sustainer of all life, the one who knows you better than you know yourself, the one who knows all of your past, your present, and your future to pour into your life. And guess what? He will take your texts at 11.30 at night. I mean, just talk to him, and he'll respond. Will he not? He will. So I hope you might see that today. I mean, here's the thing. 
From the very first days of high school, as you're growing up, your mom, your dad, everybody's kind of conditioning you in, in positive ways, you know, to, to, to find that one thing in life, right? That, that one ambition, that one area that hopefully is going to make money for you so you can, you know, take care of yourself and move out before you're 35. That would be awesome, right? And, and, but that you will find this one area of life where you'll be passionate and you'll give yourself to it. And, and, and so we, we, we had that. I mean, I had that when I was a kid. My dad would always, you know, encourage me about hockey until I got to 16 and stopped growing at 5'7 with my hair blow-dried. And, you know, that was the end of the, the NHL pursuits, right? But there was music and there was golf and there was all these other things that I wanted to give myself to and I was encouraged to, well... You know, work really hard, stick to it, right? And, and, of course, many of you probably have heard this saying before, because I heard it a lot growing up reading, you know, books, you know, like about motivation and all the rest of it. But I also heard it from, from dad and from other people, teachers, and it was something along these lines. You know what? You can do whatever or be whatever you want to in your work if you will just, what? Work hard enough and believe in yourself. Have any of you found out before you were 40 that that's a lie? Very young people here. That's, it's a lie, right? You know? It helps to focus and work hard. No question. But that's a lie. But that's, that's, that's what we're taught. And so it's, it's natural that most of us are looking in life for that one thing, that, that something or that next great thing that is going to inspire us and give us meaning and purpose in our lives. Really, our identity is going to explode and we're going to be happy because we finally found out what we were. And so we go looking for mentors and books and podcasts and videos to help us achieve those things. Well, I realized for somewhere around 40 years of age um, that that was a lie. I had given myself uh, up until that point in time to becoming a millionaire by the time I was 40 as a businessman. Uh, I was still trying to become a really successful drummer and, you know, hopefully go off to Nashville and play in a band and become popular. And, and all kinds of things, giving it myself. And, and then anxiety and stress started to really overpower me in my life. And thankfully, um, I, I found this mentor, this man at church who leaned into me, called me out for lunch one day, and he said a number of things to me that made me want to never listen to him again because he was being so honest with me. But one thing he said to me that I'll never forget, and it changed a lot. He said, Glenn, it's not about making a living. It's not about making money. It's about making a life. That, for me anyway, at 40, was very, very significant because I I had no idea what that looked like. What are you making a life? I have a wife. I've got kids. I've got mortgage. I've got debt. I've got... All these other... Isn't that life? Well, it could be. So I gave myself continually to those things, but the one thing that I did not give myself continually to up until that point in time in my life, not that I'm there fully and have perfected it to this day, but I, I really wasn't about going to my Heavenly Father every day and confessing my sins to Him and asking Him to deliver me from temptation and from sin. And and by the way, Lord, could you also teach me how to have a real life rather than just make a living, which is stressing me out, stressing me out? Could Could you maybe guide me, Father, how to become a real man, a real husband, a real father, a good one, and a faithful disciple of Jesus? 
Well, that mentor uh, at that time also showed me this verse. He showed me a lot of verses. He's a great Bible teacher, and he showed me this one verse, John chapter 10, that really stood out to me. It, it hit me because, like, I trusted all kinds of books and speakers and, and authors and, and, and motivational speakers to, to help me. But God, he saved me. But really, making a life? He showed me this verse. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, this is Jesus speaking, I, Jesus, came that they, all of these people, speaking to his disciples, may have life. And look at this. And have it abundantly. I had never seen Jesus for that before. I just thought, he, you know, he died for my sins and I had fire insurance. I wasn't going to, you know, go to hell. So there's more. I like to say this because Jesus, when he says the thief here, you know he's talking about, right? He's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan. He, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've said this many times in the past, and I'll repeat it this morning. He has basically two goals. There's a plan A and a plan B for every one of you in this room, everyone watching, every human being. Plan A is to have you die without Jesus Christ, to die in your sins. That's plan A. Plan B, if you place your faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you, he, he, will, he will be happy with this. Plan B is that you will be functionally dead as a Christian in this life, which is not an abundant life for you, but it is an abundant life for those who are living with you either. And so this disciple's prayer is taught by Jesus. Listen, I, I want to show you this today. It is our access to being led, coached, and guided by the one who created us to make a life, not just a living, to truly, not just a living, to truly flourish in this life. I'm not talking about prosperity here. Please don't misunderstand. When I say flourish, I mean as a healthy, healed from our sin human being who lives in and for the glory of Christ. So contrary to what many of us have been taught, uh, or believe this prayer is not so much about keeping short accounts, as we saw last week. It's not about getting back into God's good books. Oh, good. I'm glad I confessed that sin. God loves me and approves and accepts me again. No, it's not about that at all, actually. But it's about our full and free access to our Heavenly Father, to have Him literally guide and direct us to become the men and women Jesus has saved us to be. Anybody want to sign up for that? That's, that's the life. So your message title for today, this final petition, is going to show us exactly, to a certain extent, on top of last week, how our God is going to do that. Sermon title is, of course, Deliver Us. So I hope to show you three things today, or we're going to look at this. Number one, deliver us from what when we pray this. Number two, deliver us for what and then finally, how then should we pray? Now that we've looked at these petitions, how then should we pray? Number one, deliver us from what? I'll put the verses back on screen. Matthew, uh, Luke, pardon me, first, and lead us not into temptation. And Matthew 6.13, there it is. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we started the series, I had a few people actually come to me and go, 
Okay, that, that last part that we're going to get to, I hope one day, this lead us not into temptation, that really troubles me. I find that a little scary. Anybody? Anybody ever read that and go, hmm. It is a struggle to understand. And, and the reality is, is that when you first read it and you first look at it, I think every one of us should ask the question, why, why do I want to pray that, really? Like, do not lead us into temptation. Like, what, what is God getting at there? Why, why did Jesus put that out there in that way? Well, before we get to there and that, I believe we also need to reflect a little bit more deeply on what we looked at last week for a few minutes. This one aspect of the disciples' prayer that we looked at which is forgive us. We asked last week, forgive us for what, right? Remember that? We asked again, similar to this outline for today that we had, what are we asking forgiveness for and from is what we asked last week. Well, the answer obviously was that lovely three-letter word that all of us like. I'm going to say it a lot today. I'm really happy about that. It's sin. Our sin. And that is a very big part of this week's petition And the conclusion to this prayer, deliver us. So let's begin then with making sure that we understand what sin is and why, again, therefore, we need to continually, continually, daily, Jesus is suggesting here strongly, confess our sins seeking forgiveness from our God. Well, as I said last week, really, sin is the most deadly disease that every human being is afflicted with. We often don't see it that way, right? It's not like a medical condition per se, but it is literally killing us. It is killing us. And so, by the way, is unforgiveness. We talked about that a little bit in Missional Community Group this, that um, last week, and that was like, yeah, I mean, obviously sin itself is killing us, but it is also sinful to be unforgiving, right? That's killing us as well. Paul tells us, look at this, and some of you will know these verses, but we need to look at them. He tells us in Romans, a really good book to go to if you want to study the subject. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's good news and bad news there, right? I mean, the good news is that we're all in this together. Everyone has sinned. There is no perfect human being. There were only three perfect human beings in all of history. Two of them didn't remain that way for long. Adam and Eve. Then there was Jesus. Born that way, died that way, is that way. That's the gospel for us. So our reward then, it tells us, if you, if you look at Romans 6.23, it says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then our reward, Scripture is teaching us, in other words, our paycheck that we get every day when we sin is death. Now, again, we looked at it last week. I mean, our sins are forgiven on the day that the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and our minds, begins the process of regeneration in us, and we are born again. We're we're saved. We are healed from sin ultimately. But we live in these mortal bodies in this world today, and we continue to sin, and those sins continue 
to make us extremely unhealthy. They're killing us. But then the gospel tells us this. God has made it possible for us to be resuscitated, brought back to life daily, spiritually um, brought back to life, and, and we're offered this free, of course, by faith, and it's found in trusting in Jesus, and it's based on his sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus paid the wages on the cross that you and I cannot pay. Our country is in massive debt, right? Has anyone ever looked at the debt recently? Don't look. It's it's not a pretty picture, okay? It's way, it's deep. (laughs) We will never get out of it in our lifetime. Well, our sins would cause us never to get out of it in our lifetime too. So thankfully, they've been paid for in full by Jesus Christ. I was reading this week in the Saturate Field Guide. We've begun in our missional community groups this Saturate Field Guide, which is really a study, an eight-week study um, on the gospel, what it means to not only be saved and have the gospel uh, be a, a factor in our lives and saving us from the penalty of sin, but also saving us from the power of sin in our life today, and then ultimately saving us from the very presence of sin. And so the purpose of this study is that we personally would get the gospel and then be able to go and share it with others in our community. But they had a really good, in the first chapter, if you're in it this week, uh, and you should be, a really good definition for sin. And, And it's just a simple line. It's a simple definition. And the definition was this. To sin is to think, to believe, or act in any way that is not like God or in submission to what God commands. And and then they went on in that particular day study to to talk about essentially exactly the things that we said last week and I'm continuing to say today, and that is that sin is killing us. I mean, mention simply things like this. Unconfessed sin results, first of all, in damage to us ourselves, let alone the sin that we've committed against others. We are now less healthy. And it's killing us because it's unconfessed. We, we have broken relationships. We have decay in our world, literal death to our physical bodies. The things that sin, the temptation drive us to, anger, greed, lust, alcohol, drugs, kill us physically in this world and life today. And ultimately spiritually and eternally, separating us from ever, potentially, from our God and sustainer of all life, of all life. I remember studying this in seminaries, an aside for you just came into my mind, and we, we, we were studying who God is as the sustainer of all life, and do you, do you understand? Do we understand? I mean, we just grow up, we wake up every morning, and, and the sun comes up, right? Well, not today, but it comes up, right? We know it's up because it's brighter than it was, and, it, and things just keep going on, and we just, think, we just think that, well, this is just natural, the world, you know. Do, do we understand for a moment that if God said, stop, it all ends? It all ends without God. He is the sustainer of all things, every breath, every moment in every life. This is our God. So let's be sure we know what sin is. This is important as we go into this today. God's Word is very clear about what it is. 
and what brings death to our mortal bodies in this life. There are lists, right? There are lists in the Bible. I'm not going to read them all for you today because it, it's, it's depressing, but it, you, we should read these lists. I mean, you can start with the Ten Commandments. There's a list, and that's, that, those are a list of commands that God says, do this, don't do this. Why? Because I'm going to punish you? No, because they will kill you. You will not be flourishing. You will not live in the way that I have for you if you do not do these things and not do these things. I love you. I want you to be alive and healthy. And so there are lists. We need to become acquainted with them. Please hear me on this today. We need to understand what all the sins of the Bible clearly says are sins, and we need to be careful. Please hear this. We need to be careful never to get to the point where we say that that even though the Bible says it is a sin, is not a sin. Don't go there. People do. You might want to read Romans 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and following, <laughs> all the way to chapter, verse 31, 32. You're going to find a very clear list there. It's a very clear list clear and definitive list. But there are many people in our world today, even in the church, saying, nah, no, really? No, God didn't really mean that. No, that's not, not a sin. The Bible says so. It is. And then Paul ends in verse 32 with these words, though they know <laughs> he's speaking here of not only those who are committing these sins, but as we'll see as he concludes this, those that are approving of it, and, and this is literally people in the church. Though they know God's righteous decree, what his word says, that those who practice such things deserve to die, will die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So why is it important, so important to stress this today? Well, simply because of this. Honestly, realistically, how can, how can you pray that God would forgive you, let alone deliver you, if you do not know what from? Or you're avoiding something. There's scripture that teaches that I will be held to a higher account than most of you in this room. Why? Because I'm a preacher of God's word. I take that rather seriously. (laughs) It's not easy oftentimes to say in the church today, in our culture today, that that is a sin. It's not easy. We have to say it. You have to understand it. You need to confess it so that you will and you can be delivered from it. So what then are we praying for deliverance from? What then? Right? Well, it's, it's in the verses that we've been looking at. It, it is evil. And literally, literally, it is the evil one. It's personalized. And so we're, we're praying that we will be not led into temptation and to be delivered from the evil one. So I believe we need to fully unpack these words to grasp our prayer for deliverance a little bit. I've often had someone ask me, honestly, as I mentioned earlier on, what does that really mean? I mean, they suggest that they find it sp- it's very scary that God would literally lead you, me, us, into temptation. I agree. That's incredibly frightening. It is. 
So let's look at what Scripture teaches us about this. James chapter 1, verse 13, is a passage that I'm sure, I mean, I remember sharing this with Janice a little bit earlier in the, the week about where I'm going to, and, and this verse, and she immediately went, and she quoted this, and you good Christians will know this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Are we done here? It's pretty simple, right? James said so. I don't quite think that answers it fully yet, does it? Because there are some other things that we can see in Scripture that... So we're on the right track, and we're going to come back to James, but we also must square that with this. You will remember that before Jesus preaches the amazing Sermon on the Mount and about prayer in Matthew's Gospel... He comes to John the Baptist to be baptized, right? And you'll remember that on that day, the Trinity of God is present. Jesus, fully God, fully man, is there, right, being baptized by John the Baptist. And then we hear the voice of God coming from heaven. You remember the words that God said? This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. Good for you. Yeah. Well pleased. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus as a dove. And so that's a beautiful passage where we, actually one of those passages where we learn about the triune God. The Trinity is there. It's wonderful. I was pointed to and listening to an old sermon by John Piper this week, and he, when referring to this, made a really good point that I wanted you to hear today too, because it's a really good point about that, that event, because it, it, it's a point about that event considering what happens next to Jesus. And John Piper said this, one of the wonderful effects of these words is to assure Jesus, these words from God, in whom I am well pleased, the Father saying, and us, that the fire of misery and pain, trials and temptations that Jesus was about to walk into was not owing to God's displeasure with him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens next? The Holy Spirit says, give me your hand. Right? The very next thing that happens is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. Okay, have I confused you? What's going on here? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And look at this. These are important words. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. (laughs) He knew who he was. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So the important thing for us to see is this. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Yes, he does. But not to be tempted by God, but to be tempted by the evil one, the tempter. Every temptation that happens in this world today, either to you personally, just in your mind and your heart, or when you tempt someone else, to it, it, the, the originator is him, just so that we understand that. He is the tempter, sometimes using us. So we know how that all turned out, right? Jesus was victorious, and he resisted the devil. How did he do that? The power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he was fully God. Yes, he was fully man. 
He, like you and I, needed the Holy Spirit to be able to overcome these three temptations that the Holy Spirit threw at him. So the tempting came from the devil. The power to resist the devil came from the Holy Spirit. So, and then after Jesus returns from the wilderness, what does he start doing? He starts calling disciples to follow him, right? He goes, okay, you, you two guys, you guys, you ladies, follow me. And, and the way he teaches it out for the next few years is follow me in every way. Now, besides teaching them how to pray daily, do you remember one other thing that he told them to do daily? Yeah. Take up your cross. How often? Daily. And follow me. Where? Oh, into the world. Into the world. He's leading us that way. So, question. Are we to expect today that the Holy Spirit will lead us into temptation? It's a good question. The answer might surprise you. He doesn't need to. It's everywhere. Right? He doesn't need to lead us into that. He needed to lead Jesus into that specific trial and temptation because it was the same trial and temptation that Adam and Eve had failed. And he, being the second Adam, had to defeat the devil on that day, and he did. So that now, today, we can do the same, defeat the devil. So it's all around you. It's a part of every moment of our lives. So where does that leave us? Well, it's time for us to learn a little bit more about the Greek language as we move on to point number two. So point number one, again, is deliver us from what? Well, clearly, deliver us from the evil one, from the tempter, and therefore our sins again. Point number two, deliver us for what? Uh, Interesting Greek word. It's the word perasmos. Uh, It's an interesting word. It's translated here in your... Bibles, most of your Bibles, as the word temptation. And it's a good definition, but the literal definition of that word used often in the New Testament is trial, testing. And most commentators would suggest that the reason why it's translated as temptation here is because it's amplifying or speaking of the one who is the tempter. So there is temptation at work here. The emphasis is on praying to be delivered from Satan. So here's an important distinction that I hope will relieve you from your fear that our Father will ever tempt us to sin. The distinction is simple, and it is this. Satan tempts you to sin. He doesn't cause you to sin, by the way. He tempts you to sin. God tests you. The Holy Spirit leads us into trials and to testing. For what? That's what we'll look at. That's important. So this is exactly what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. Satan does the tempting. He tempts Jesus to sin three times, and each time the Holy Spirit empowers him to resist the devil and pass the test. Most important test any human ever had to pass. And if Jesus hadn't passed that test, guys, gals, we would not be saved today. We would not be saved. So deliver us from what? Well, at least three things. First, we also 
uh, as we also, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, resist the devil, as we put sin to death in our lives, we become more and more alive to Christ, which means we begin to flourish more. As disciples of Jesus, our lives becoming a reflection of Jesus living his life in us and through us. And so now when we return to James, which we're going to do for a few verses, we can see how what he teaches makes so much more sense. We went through the book of James a few years ago, and I went and reviewed it, and I remember some people at the time going, oh, man, James is an interesting book, but, you know, it's all about trials and temptations. Yeah, it's good. It's very instructive. But based on what we've already heard, I think we're going to see that we're going to learn something more from it. And we're going to see that it leads to the second thing that we are delivered from and for. And the reason for is to strengthen us. Like, I don't care what endeavor it is that you want to get into, you want to be really successful at. When I was learning to become a drummer, I had to do paradiddles and practices and buzz rolls and all these things. And I had to do them over and over and over again. Why? I had to strengthen my wrists and my forearms so that I could go faster and faster and faster and keep time. Any athlete knows that you have to get stronger to be better at what you're doing. God's purpose in asking us to pray, deliver us, is so that we can become stronger. His purpose for taking us into trials and testings is to make us stronger. It's awesome. And that's why James says these lovely words that you all love so much, right? Count it all joy, right? Isn't that what he says? He says, yes, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Don't you get up every morning going, yeah, I can't wait. What's wrong with you? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't give up that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Is this possible? Or is this just positive mental attitude coming from James? It's the Word of God. Will any one of us become perfect in this life? No. But can we become perfected in Christ? Yes. But we need to allow those trials and testings. He goes on in verse 12 to say, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial, perseveres under trial. For when he or she has stood the test, they will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And then finally, after verse 13 that we saw earlier today, James then says this, but listen, look at this. Each person is tempted when he or she is lured away. Satan tempts us. He is not. You know, Satan made me do it. No, he didn't. That's a lie too. He may tempt you. He may put something in your, in your way. God is using that as a trial, as a test. You choose to sin. I choose. It's a big difference. When he is lured and enticed by his own or her own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Just, I think this is why we need to pray daily. 
We need to pray daily. So then thirdly, what, what, what is our Father's ultimate purpose for testing us? Think about this. What, what is God's, why? What would be the ultimate purpose? There's a mission, right? Jesus died so that you could be saved and forgiven eternally, but also so that he could tell you to do what? Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus taught this uh, in John chapter 15, just after he had told his disciples that he was going to go away and then send the Holy Spirit to them. And they were like, what, what, what are you doing? What do you mean? What, what, what's going on here? Why? Like, we, we've got you, right? He's going, no, 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 no. It's going to be more perfect if he comes. But then Jesus teaches them and he's teaching us and he says these words, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, or does bear fruit, look at this, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. So we are delivered from our sins for ourselves so that we may flourish, so that we can become stronger through these tests and trials, but also so that we can bless others so that they may flourish in their lives today too. So let me ask you, just as we get to our closing today, what trials, testings, and temptations are you currently going through, and what is your Heavenly Father trying to teach you? Honestly, today, think about that. What's what's really frustrating? What's really, really hard in your life right now? What trials, what's making you angry? What's stressing you out, producing anxiety in your life? What broken relationships do you have? What areas of pride and greed and covetousness we all deal with? Stop for a second. You're being tempted to sin in that. Now, what's God trying to test you with here? Well, pray. Pray and ask Him to help you through this. Whether anger, covetousness, and greed, lust, pride, lying, stealing, or the sin of unbelief, consider today how God is testing you in this trial and how He wants to lead you to victory. Victory. So my desire for you as we conclude this mini-series as I started is that this might just kindle in you for the first time if it hasn't happened before in your life or rekindle in your heart in your life. Prayer. It would really set it on fire for you. And it's not just like in the morning, 20 minutes, and we go through the rote exercise. No, all day. Lord, I'm going into a meeting, or I'm going to meet this person, and, oh, you know, I've been struggling with this person, or this situation, and I maybe even have to tell them I'm sorry. Help me. Pray to him. Talk to him. He will take your texts at that very, very moment. And the other thing I want to encourage you, and I hope you've seen in this series, is you don't need to have this figured out so that, you know, like you're, you're praying in some holy and righteous way, like in the King James version of the Bible, you know, dear Lord, thou with... No, no, you don't have to speak that way. That'd be great. But, you know, it's not bad. It's a good thing. But you don't... It's a conversation with your God, with your Father. Dad, Abba. You can just speak to Him. And here's the thing. The Scripture teaches us the Holy Spirit will do the holy and righteous stuff for you when you're in prayer. You can just be groaning in your heart and not even be able to articulate what you want to pray and ask your God for. And the Holy Spirit will communicate that to your Heavenly Father 
for you. So let me encourage you, honestly, uh, as you go to prayer this week, maybe think back to what I said in the first message. You know, just maybe start off with, hey, hey, Dad. Uh, By the way, it's Glenn. I'm here again. (laughs) Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for welcoming me into your presence, directly into your throne room. Thanks to what Jesus did on the cross and in my place, I, I have this access, which is unbelievable. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thanks for being my dad, my father. Thank you for being the one person more than anyone else in my life I can come to with anything. And you will never turn me away. You will listen to me over and over and over. Thank you for being so patient with me. Thank you. Hallowed be your name. You're such a good God, such a good Father. Lord, I'm happy living here in Squamish and in Canada and in this world, but it's pretty messed up down here. We're doing our best to be salt and light. We're not great at it. Would you please cause your kingdom to come? Your will be done here on earth. I know you can do this way better than me and... uh, I have some needs today to feed my family, and I need to pray also for some other people in our church. And, and, and I, ha- I have some sins, a couple of them I prayed for yesterday, yep, happening again, and I, I need to bring those to you. And, and Lord, I'm going to pray again today that you would continue to deliver me. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the testing. I see what you're doing. I don't want you to stop doing that. It's going to help me. I'm going to grow. But, okay, are you ready? Here we go. And just keep praying. Just keep talking to your heavenly Father. You know, Jesus' teaching in Luke is not over here, right? He goes on very quickly in verses 5 through 11 or 12, I believe, and he tells kind of like three little vignette stories, right? He, he tells about the story about a man who's got some out-of-town visitors coming. You know, they're coming to Squamish from Sycamus or somewhere, right? And, and they're, they just arrived, and he's got no food in the house, so he goes to his pastor's house, don't do this, and he knocks hard on the door, right? Like it's midnight, right? And he, and he d- does that because he knows that his wife has probably bought some sourdough at Tall Tree that day and probably has two or three loaves on the counter free plug. And, and, and you know, see, he's pounding on the door that, that, you know, I need some bread, right? And then finally inside the house, I get up because I'm frustrated. I'm like, like I, oh, I know who this is, you know? And I, so I go to the door and I go, okay, I'll give you two of the three loaves that we've got and please go away. There's a word that's used there that Jesus used. It's words, it, it's, it's, the person is, it's impudence. He's impudent. It means persistent. Jesus is saying, pray like that. And then he goes on to talk about a couple of different ways that, you know, like uh, uh, you, you could try to treat someone you love, right? And, and like as a father, would you give, you know, like when your child asks for something good to eat, like a cheeseburger, you know, would you give him a snake? You know, things like that. And it's like, no, no, what do you, Jesus. Jesus' point in prayer is this, and it amplifies what I've been saying throughout the last five weeks and what we've been saying, and I'll put the verses on screen to encourage you to do this daily for this reason. Jesus said in the midst of these stories, these words, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Does that sound like a promise? It is a promise made by Jesus about our Father. And those words in there are present perfect tense. Ask, keep asking, keep asking, don't give up. Ask again, keep asking. Let's pray.